Good morning. Happy to have you this morning. Uh, some of the feedback I received from last week's sermon was that it seemed like I was making a political statement. Off of their wise counsel, I thought it would be good to reassure you this morning that I wasn't trying to do that at all. Uh, while the sermon last week came right after an election, I've actually been working on this series in Obadiah, I think, since before uh, COVID hit last March. So I've uh, been working on this one for a little while. Like we saw last week, Obadiah speaks into our situation today, both nationally and individually. So I pray that we give careful consideration to, uh, to God's word and that we continue to extend grace to one another. And to those who uh, raised your concerns with me, thank you for extending me that grace and for uh, uh, just giving me transparent communication. We need more, about, more of that in the church. Last week, we looked at Obadiah 1 through 9 and saw that God deflates the prideful. Pride is self-reliance instead of God-reliance. It is uh, trusting in the wrong things, placing our sense of security in something else other than God. Pride is sin, and that sin deceives us into opposing God. Pride loves self instead of God or others. Pride loves self instead of God or others. Is it any wonder that God opposes the prideful? Obadiah demonstrates that Edom's overriding and offensive sin was pride. Pride lies at the heart of their condemnation. Now, we may be tempted to believe that pride can stay just pride, that this sin doesn't touch any other sin. In fact, we may believe that sin can be compartmentalized, that one sin has no bearing on another sin, that sin doesn't touch any other parts of our lives, or that sin uh, doesn't affect our relationships. However, this is not true. It reminds me of a movie from one of my favorite video series, VeggieTales, called Larry Boy and the Rumorweed. Now, there's action, there's adventure, there's plunger ears. There's a butler named Alfred. What's not to love? Well, in this movie, Junior Asparagus and Laura the Carrot are walking or hopping along, and they share a little gossip with each other. And this gossip grows and grows until it becomes more and more destructive, threatening to destroy everything, not only themselves, but their, their homes, their relationships, uh, their whole community. Now, it may be easy to understand that sin can grow to become more and more destructive. What may be difficult to understand is that sin can grow to produce other sins. We're going to see that this morning in Obadiah. If you're not already there, turn to Obadiah. We're going to look at verses 10 through 14 today. Obadiah 10 through 14. It's found on page 772 of your ESV chair Bible. Obadiah 10 to 14. Right away in verse 10, God levies a charge against, or through the prophet Obadiah against Edom. Look at what it says. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. 
and you shall be cut off forever. Edom has done violence to their brother Jacob. Now, here the nation of Israel is being talked about in relational terms. Edom and Israel can trace their ancestry all the way back to Jacob and Esau. They are brother nations. So let's take a brief survey of the history between these two nations. We will see that Edom's prideful roots go all the way back into time. So Jacob and Esau's birth is shared in Genesis 25. Okay, that's where their birth is shared. God tells their mother, Rebekah, that these twins will be divided and that the older, who is Esau, who is the founder of Edom, will serve the younger, who is Jacob, the founder of Israel. When they are older, Esau tells, or sorry, Esau sells Jacob his birthright for a cup of soup. And since then, Esau despised his birthright. A little while later, Jacob tricked their dad Isaac into giving him a blessing that was meant for Esau. Because of that, Esau hated Jacob and was intent on killing him. Jacob had a pretty smart idea then. He ran away. Now, eventually, Esau and Jacob were able to repair their relationship. But since then, Edom rarely partnered with Israel and usually held animosity for them. This is evident in our next stop in the history of Edom's prideful roots. In number, Numbers 20, Moses sends messengers to the king of Edom requesting safe passage through their land. Okay, he promises that they will stay on the path, that they won't get off of it, and they will try not to touch anything. They just want to get from point A to point B. However, Edom refuses to the point of amassing an army and threatening force. Then, throughout Israel's history, there are constant battles with Edom. Many of Israel's kings fought against the Edomites. Saul, David, Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram. All of these fought against Edom and had victories over them. The younger ruling the older in a direct connection to Jacob and Esau. A bitter rivalry existed between them. Our final stop in this brief survey is the most catastrophic. We know from the book of Obadiah that God is angry with the Edomites. Why? Why is God angry? While we don't know the exact time that Obadiah is written, some scholars believe it was written in relationship to this historical event, the destruction of Jerusalem. See, when the Babylonians came and conquered Judah, the Edomites were full partners with them in it. They helped them ransack Jerusalem, helped them destroy the temple, and they even captured and killed survivors. The Edomites were violent to their brother Jacob. Their pride just popped up like a weed and led to violence. But what did their violence look like? We'll turn to or look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Prideful, shameful Edom 
begins their violence against their brother nation with aloofness or indifference. In the Hebrew, aloof means to stand uh, on the other side. So like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan, how they passed by on the other side of the man who was robbed, Edom is avoiding Israel's calamity. Strangers are carrying off Jacob's wealth, and Edom doesn't care. Foreigners are coming in to claim Jerusalem as their own, and Edom is not coming to Israel's aid. Now, there is a word in the Hebrew that is missing from the ESV translation. It might be in some of the other translations. It's the word gam, meaning moreover, or also, or even. This conjunction connects Edom to the strangers and foreigners in the last phrase of uh, verse 11. This is uh, what verse 11 says. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, this is where that Hebrew word comes in. Moreover, you were like one of them. See, not only did strangers carry off your brother's wealth. Not only did foreigners set claim to your brother's land and treat their capital city like a gambling bet. What is worse, moreover, you were like one of them. Prideful indifference isn't indifference at all. Prideful indifference chooses sides against your neighbor. Now we may be thinking, Pride leads to indifference. As long as it's not hurting anyone, does it matter? Well, look at verse 12. It says, Do not gloat, but do not gloat, over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Edom looked on the devastation of his brother Jacob, and, you know, they begin to lament and, and take care of his hurts and bandage his wounds. No, that's not what it says at all. No, prideful, shameful, indifferent Edom gloats. They gloat over his brother's misfortune and rejoices over their ruin. Now, this word rejoicing carries with it this nuance of, of gleeful joy or merriment. The day that Jacob is ruined, destroyed, and has perished, Edom callously and arrogantly boasts about it. What was once just pride has produced weeds of indifference, gloating, rejoicing, and calloused boasting. Edom should have joined Jacob in mourning and lamentation. Instead, they joined Jacob's enemies in rejoicing and celebration. Edom should have sat appalled and terrified at the sight of Jacob in ruins. Instead, they boasted of their part in what happened. Watching from the sidelines, they began to cheer against them. Now, cheering from the sidelines doesn't mean we want to join the game, does it? Sadly, the weeds that produce uh, pride can also produce more sins in us. Look at what verse 13 says. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do 
Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. The prophet sounds like a beating drum. Do not, do not, do not. In the day, the day, the day of his calamity, calamity, calamity. Edom took three steps here in this verse. First, they entered the gates. Second, they examined and mocked all the evil done to his brother. And third, they found and sent away anything of value for their own personal use. They seized the opportunity that was presented and they tried to benefit from it. Like children swarming for candy after a pinata has broken open, Edom moves against the Israelites. Upon entering the gates, they were not moved to help or comfort or restore. Instead, they looted their brother's wealth. They took it and carried it away. Pride loves self instead of God or others. And their pride continues to produce weeds that grow to produce other sins. Prideful, shameful, indifferent, boastful, and calloused Edom became opportunists who further perpetuated their brother's disaster. This was depicted for us this morning by two artists, two very good artists. We have on the first one, Caden, and on the other one, Obadiah. Now, I really like Caden's because it produces this verse in storyboard fashion. It tells you exactly what happens. First, you have someone who is crying, saying, don't take my treasure. And you can see a teardrop that takes up like a third of its face right over here. And then in the next panel, you see someone saying, ha, this is my ball. This is very serious crimes here. And then the next person is smiling, and they're holding a bag that has a dollar sign on it. And then on the last panel, someone's running away. Ha, ha, ha. They shouldn't have gone on there, gone in there and looted their brother's wealth. Now in the next one, we have a picture from Obadiah. Does, is this existing since biblical times? No, this is my son's. Obadiah, he has a person for the O, which is cool, and a snake for the S. But here he depicts the, the city over here, and the gate has a name on it. It says problems. There's problems existing in this city. And one person is saying, ha, 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 they have the wealth. And the person on top of the city says, do not do that. I think this is a good picture. So thank you to Caden and Obadiah for these for these drawings. It seems like Edom joined the game after it was done, right? Like getting to the buffet right before it's put away. What's wrong with helping yourself to what's left? Well, look at verse 14. Verse 14, Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Not, on, not only did uh, Edom, not only were they content to watch their brother's demise and loot from them, 
Edom stood at the highway intersections, capturing and killing escapees from Jacob. Edom participated as a full ally with their brother's enemies. How tragic. How utterly tragic when they should have been a friend, a relative, an ally of Jacob. Edom was an enemy. And at the heart of their actions lay pride. Pride loves self more than God or others. It continues to pop up like a weed, growing to produce other sins. Prideful, shameful, indifferent, uh, boastful, callous, and opportunist Edom was violent towards his brother and worked to wipe them out. Pride grows to produce other sins. That's our first point for today. Pride grows to produce other sins. And it is hard to watch it happen. We've spent, what, the last 10 to 15 minutes on these four verses watching pride produce worse and worse things in Edom. The division of Jacob and Esau eventually led to whole nations being divided and great sins against Israel to be committed. Pride grew in Edom. Its roots were firmly established back in time, and it produced sinful weeds of indifference, of callousness, of an opportunist mentality, and violence in Edom. Pride took root and infected the whole garden. Now, last week we were able to see what pride looks like on a national level. What does pride look like on a personal level? Well, to answer that, let's go back to verse 11. Just as Edom stood aloof, we too can stand aloof. We can too be indifferent. Even believers can stand indifferent to each other and indifferent to a lost world. This harkens back to Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? As in, what business of it is mine? So what if I see sin in someone else's life? So what if I see that their actions have set them on a path to destruction? So what if I see that they believe falsehoods, or that they are immature in the faith, or that they are hurting themselves or others in their relationships? What business of it is mine? Am I my brother's keeper? Of course we are. Of course we are our brother's keeper. We have the responsibility to share the gospel, to have a heart for the lost. We have a responsibility to look after others, and a special responsibility to those within the family of God, that is the church. God holds us accountable. Where we can share the gospel, we must share the gospel. Where we can... Uh, Encourage, we must encourage. Where we can help, we must help. Where we can defend, we must defend. We are tempted to hold each other at arm's length and believe that our shallow fellowship is good enough. To the degree that we do that is the degree that we handicap
brothers and sisters in Christ. Opportunities are all around us. We must fight the temptation of allowing pride to blind us. Pride loves self more than God or others. We must weed out this barrier between us and God and us and each other. Verse 12 reveals that prideful indifference can produce weeds of calloused boasting. See, as Edom watched from the sidelines, they began to cheer against Israel, enjoying their misfortune. Some Christians are like that. Instead of learning from Christ to look for the plank in our own eye, we may boast over the speck of dust in someone else's eye. We may mock the unbeliever for their sinful and arrogant ways. Or we can kick other Christians while they're down so that we can feel better about ourselves. We can see in someone else's life, we can see sin in their life. Make no effort to restore them. And then rejoice over their downfall. They got what they deserved, or so we rationalize. We can't forget that we are servants of the Lord, and before the Lord we stand or fall. It's unfortunate. No, it's more than unfortunate. It is an absolute tragedy that some Christians rejoice when something bad happens to unbelievers. It is heartbreaking that some Christians rejoice when another Christian sins. And it is regrettable that some Christians sit along the sidelines and watch others fail because they don't believe exactly as we do or, or we do not go towards reconciliation over a past hurt. You know, it's more than a tragedy, more than heartbreaking, more than regrettable. It is sinful. If we saw ourselves, truly saw ourselves on the same level as everyone else, then we would mourn with them when they are hurt and turn to God in thanksgiving that we have been spared even though our sins are also many. Indifference can lead to calloused boasting. Calloused boasting can lead to further hard-heartedness. Edom's hard heart manifested itself in an opportunist mentality in verse 13 and in violence in verse 14, trying to benefit from Israel's misfortune and making sure that Israel received full payment for perceived past sins. Pride can manifest itself in similar actions in our lives as well. We are often tempted to not give slights and hurts over to God. It's the law of the West. Seek your own justice. Remember how pride is self-reliance instead of God-reliance? Remember how pride is trying to take the place of God? The temptation of pride is to enforce our will on everyone else. 
When someone is down, pride tempts us into seizing the opportunity for our own benefit. So what if it causes more hurt and division? I was right all along, so I am justified in my actions. Or so we rationalize. And when someone is down, pride tempts us to keep them there until they have received their punishment in full. We struggle with an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. We struggle with wanting to exact our own brand of justice instead of giving it over to God. We struggle to extend grace and compassion to others. Because of pride, we struggle. Pride loves self instead of loving God and others. Pride is revealed through our actions. That's our second point for today. Pride is revealed through our actions. So what does God do? What does God do when pride is present? To answer that, look back at verse 10. Verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. All of the cruelties described in verses 11 through 14 are called violence by Obadiah here in verse 10. Because of the violence done to their brother Jacob, shame shall cover them. In the Hebrew, the word for shame also means to, to cover or engulf or overwhelm them. It will be their new reality, and they will be cut off forever. When God says that they will be cut off forever, he means that he is going to destroy them permanently. And what God says he will do, he does. Edom is no longer a nation. They are no longer a thought in anyone's mind. They were destroyed in the year 125 B.C. with only a few remaining survivors until even they fell into security. Or, sorry, obscurity. So what does God do when pride takes over? What does God do when pride infects the whole garden? He goes for the root. God cuts down the prideful. It's our third point for the day. God cuts down the prideful. I can see all of you, you know, breathing a sigh of relief. It took me so long to get from my second verse to, my, to, to now this third verse. You know, we've arrived. We got through it. God cuts down the prideful. Point number one, pride grows to produce other sins. Point two, pride is revealed through actions. Point three, God cuts down the prideful. That leads to our big idea for today. Verses 10 through 14 is summed up in this, in this statement. Pride breeds a number of sins and harvests God's wrath. Pride breeds a number of sins and harvests God's wrath. We must not become complacent with pride. Pride loves self instead of loving God or others. We must root it out whenever we see it. Obadiah confronts the problem and sin of pride. He shows us how it grows. He shows us how a prideful heart reveals itself through actions, and he shows us how God roots it out. 
On various levels, on different seasons of our lives, we all struggle with this problem. Pride is a common problem for us all. So what is the answer? What is the answer to this problem? What are we called to do? Well, the answer comes in the polar opposite of pride. Humility. True, godly humility, which is only possible for a believer. We talked about this last week, how we must humble ourselves and accept God's free gift of grace and salvation given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about how we must imitate and model Jesus and his humility. But what is humility? What does it look like? Well, Jesus teaches us uh, the answer in the parable I mentioned earlier, the Good Samaritan. So turn to that with me. It's in Luke chapter 10. We're going to close with this passage. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's on page 869 of your ESV chair Bible. Jesus doesn't only model humility. He teaches about it as well. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Follow along as I summarize this passage. In this passage, there is a lawyer who decides to put Jesus to the test, starting in verse 25 there, by asking what it took to inherit eternal life. Jesus asks him if he has read the law. The lawyer answers well, pointing to God and loving your neighbor. Then we read this. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The man wished to justify himself. He wanted to be proven right. Jesus addressed the pride of his heart with a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In this parable, just like Israel and Obadiah, a man was robbed, beaten, and half dead. Just like the Edomites standing aloof or on the other side, a priest and Levite pass by on the other side of this man. They leave him alone. They ignore him. Then a Samaritan comes along. Imagine Jesus' audience here for a second. Jesus' audience, they did not like Samaritans. Think of what they probably thought. Samaritans, worst of the worst. We're going to see some real bad things here. So Jesus continues on. He says, A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, just imagine him pausing there for a second and letting his audience's minds run wild. What would they think that the Samaritan was going to do? Oh, the anticipation. Was the Samaritan going to ignore him like the Edomites did to Israel? Or was Jesus going to say, and when he saw him, he mocked and snickered at him. Served you right, he said. Or worse, and when he saw him, he checked his pockets for money. Or what about, and when he saw him, he kicked him a few times. The audience is probably like, who are we kidding? It's a Samaritan. He's probably going to do all of those things. Then Jesus finishes, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. A godly attribute that is so important to exercise. 
compassion. It considers the other person first. It cares for the other person. It requires empathy. See, pride loves self instead of loving God or others. Humility? Humility loves God and others more than self. What is humility? Humility loves God and others more than self. And what does this love look like? This love has compassion on others. Instead of focusing on ourselves, it focuses on our neighbor. Humility loves God and others more than self. And so the first step to grow in humility is to cultivate and hold Christ-like compassion for others. The second step comes in what the Samaritan did next. He went to this hurting man, bound up his wounds, and brought him to an inn. He paid the innkeeper two denarii, the equivalent of two days' wages, to help him with his further care. See, just as a prideful heart reveals itself through actions, so too does a humble heart reveal itself through actions. The Samaritan didn't ignore the man. He went directly, he became directly involved and worked to help him recover. See, he didn't gloat, but bandaged. He didn't loot, but gave sacrificially. He didn't hurt him, but cared for him. What is humility? Humility loves God and others more than self. And what does this love look like? It, it is giving of ourselves sacrificially. We spend our time and money in service of others, not for ourselves. Pride says, I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Humility says, love says, that time is sacrificially spent for God and others. So our second step in growing in humility is to spend our time sacrificially for God and others. Lastly, how to grow in humility comes in the last action of the Samaritan. He says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Not only did the Samaritan take care of the immediate needs of this man who was robbed and beaten, but sought to help him in the future as well. He, didn't, he wasn't done after this initial crisis. He was committed to the man's full healing. So what is humility? Humility is loving God and others more than self. And what does this love look like? It is committed to full restoration. Pride only commits to pursuing our own ends, our own vindication. Humility is completely opposite. Humility loves God and others more than self. How many times do I need to say it? third step in growing in humility is to commit ourselves to pursuing full restoration. Jesus teaches us to be humble. Jesus teaches us to love God. Jesus teaches us to love others, to deny self. We will show this in our compassion for others and giving of ourselves sacrificially and pursuing full restoration of others. We will be outward focused instead of inward focused. This is our call. This is our mandate. We, we need to humble ourselves 
before God and others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, if there is any pride in our lives, if there is any pride that we hold in our hearts, any pride evident in our words or in our actions, Lord, I pray that we lay it at your feet right now, that you root it out, and that we grow in humility. Lord, place upon our hearts the need to grow into humility, to show compassion, to give sacrificially, to be committed to full restoration. Lord, we need to show your humility that you modeled for us, that you taught us. Humble us, Lord. Forgive us for any pride that we may have. And Lord, help us to not only repent of it, not only to turn from it, Lord, but to seek to reconcile to others from it. Lord, grow in us humility. Help us to go outside of these walls and to be humble with others in our relationship, our co-workers, people that we see on the street, Lord. Help us to share your word. Help us to help others, to encourage others, to defend others. Help us to share the gospel. Guide us, Lord, to take these words to heart, to grow through them, from them, and, Lord, to grow into our relationship with you. Work in us, Lord. We can't do this on our own strength. We need you. We need your spirit. Be with each person today, Lord, as, as we end this time, as they go forth in this week. I thank you for our time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.